Welcome back to the Zero Weakness Podcast, where we talk about how to be a better lifter, how to be a better coach, and everything in between. Make sure you subscribe and enjoy. Hello, welcome back to the Zero Weakness Podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by the lovely people at Establishment Coffee. So if you'd like 25% off your order and free shipping, go to establishmentcoffee.com and use the code 025. Everyone is on their phones looking for quotes. Huh? <laughs> well, in my defense, I know what the quote was. I just wanted to read it again so I get it right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How is everyone? Good. What's it to you? <laughs> Jeez. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> A lot of bickering going on at this end of the room. <laughs> Bridget was just yelling at James before we started. <laughs> it's like when, you know, when your mum's on the phone, she's going, oh no, you, she's going off at you and then the phone rings. She's like, hello, this is Susan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's legit. It. That's it. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. CJ, what are you grateful for, brother? Let's kick this uh, thing off on a positive note. Um, <laughs> I, I am grateful, grateful for, for my help. <laughs> The congestion. <laughs> oh gosh. What am I grateful for? Why did I just go blank? I am grateful for um I'm grateful for my mates. Yes. I have a yeah, I have a really good bunch of mates around me and um I, I I've I've taken them for granted. So um yeah, very grateful for them. What do you mean you've taken them for granted? Or do you just mean that like you don't reflect often enough about. I don't reflect often are. enough about it. I was yeah. watching this like short came up on my Instagram. This guy saying like, some stupid percentage of guys can't say they've got like a group of friends, and I feel like I've had that most of my like adulthood, like since school. So I've realized like, man, I'm actually really blessed. So yeah, yeah, nice. You know, it's really hard. That's good to get in the habit of is say that you love your friends. Yeah, tell them you love them. It's weird how hard it can be sometimes. Is that mm, just a guy mm. thing? Because we girls like no. say it to each other all the but time. But we we mean it when we say it. <laughs> yeah, Bridget, you heard me. <laughs> we we don't put little X's at the end of the the messages that aren't real kisses. You know? <laughs> they are real kisses. Wait, you've heard me on the phone talking to like we Renus and yeah, like, me, yeah, you say me, it. me and my bros. We say mm. I love you like yeah. on the phone all the time. Love yeah. you, bro. <laughs> I try cool. to do it as much as I can. Mm. It's easy on the phone. It's easy to type it mm. when you're staring someone in the face. Makes it a little bit harder. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it does. It does. All right. I am great. I'm <laughs> grateful for uh, the the modern wonders of medicine for fixing my dog. Yeah. He's, he's starting to he's starting to put some pressure on his on his bad knee. I don't think I've shed as many tears as I have in the last three weeks, oh. and not just because he's sore, but like just the reality of my child's mortality yeah. it hits you in the feels. And I like I've never had a pet, but mm. he's my first pet, so this is going to be the hardest one for sure. Bro, I almost cried yesterday when I gave Alex a hug. I could cry now thinking about it. Yeah, mm. yeah, poor dude. Mm. And then, and then his other dog got he bitten. He lost and his dog. Oh. yeah, yeah, of oh, fifteen years. Little things. Mm. Damn, it's a long time. Yeah, long time. And uh, me and Bridget were talking about like dog people. Alex is, you know, we're all dog people. We yeah. love our dogs. Alex is a dog person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got four dogs. Constantly fostering them. Yeah. Re- always going. He goes and walks the dogs at the rescue. And yeah. Oh, he's wow. a, he's a dog a person. Guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. I love that guy. Damn. All right. Someone cheer it up. Yeah. <laughs> what are you grateful for? Um, I'm going to double down on CJ's ones. I'm very grateful for my mates. I've had, uh, 
I've had a, the pretty much the same group of friends my whole life. Um, and then this weekend, I've got friends from Perth, Sydney, uh, Auckland, all coming here. So we're all catching up this weekend uh, for the marathon weekend. And yeah, it's going to be awesome. And it's just, you know, those mates that you don't have to talk to all the time, but, mm. you know, it's going to be cool. So I'm just doubling down on that, CJ. Sorry for biting your, biting your style. But yeah, I'm very grateful for my friends and the relationships I have in my life. Mm. Nice. What you both need to remind yourself of if there, is that if you're looking around at your circle of friends and you're like, man, I'm surrounded by good people, you wouldn't be in that circle if you weren't one of those good people. Yeah, Ooh, that's like such that. a good way yeah. to look at it. Mm. That is true. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Bridget. I'm grateful for my mum and dad. They were just here for a week and they went home yesterday and now I'm sad. Oh. So, yeah. It was so nice to come home to my apartment and they were there and dinner was ready and, yeah, it was good. I just love having them there. So you were grateful for free dinner? Yeah, <laughs> and they bought me a mop for my house as oh, well. Nice. <laughs> Love a good mop. Oh, yeah, they yeah, that. they do. They, every time they come to stay, they always buy me all this stuff. My house just keeps filling up with more stuff, and this time it was a mop, which I do need. So I was telling Bridget what she should do is just write a list but and call it Bridget's wish no, list. No, because then they buy me everything on it in one go. And they exactly, can't be, no, they can't be doing that. She needs air fryer. She doesn't know how good an air fryer is. I don't have I'm space on. for an air fryer. I don't need an air fryer. Could you imagine having a whole house and saying you don't have space for an air fryer? <laughs> Wait, all right, tell me where house. I'm going to put it. Just put it in the laundry. Yeah, put it in the laundry room on the floor. Have you oh, seen the what's floor. in the laundry? There's on golf the clubs floor. and now there's a mop in there and there's another vacuum <laughs> and there's clubs. linen and there's everything in there. Not going <laughs> to fit clubs. an air fryer in there. If you can still walk in your apartment, there's room. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's just perspective. perspective. Yeah, too much stuff as it is. I got to get rid of stuff. All right, what's your quote? Mine, mine's a nerd one, but it's one of my favorite quotes. And it's, uh, I can't remember his name. He's a sci-fi author. And it's, there are two possibilities. Either we are alone in the universe or we are not. And both are equally terrifying. Oh, I've definitely heard that before. Mm, I love it's, it. It's not Stephen King, is it? No, it's not Stephen King. He's a sci-fi writer. Uh, uh, what do you think is scarier? If we're completely alone in the universe and there's no other intelligent life, or if there is... Some kind of alien life out if there. If we're alone. I think, I think alone, if we're yeah. alone. I'm, I'm thousand percent. just at the end of um, a book called Starry Messenger. It's yeah. uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's most recent one. Nice. And there was just a chapter on like the perspective of how we view animals or how we view chimps and how that's going to look if the equivalent exists in the other direction. Because mm. yeah. like what separates us is 2% of DNA. Yeah, wow. And so in that 2%, it's like we can't even communicate with a chimp besides maybe some hand signals or something like that. So imagine if we met the equivalent but higher than us. Oh, my God. Like our smartest people on earth would look like they're toddlers. Yeah. That's scary. I don't know if I want to meet any other intelligent life. Do you they'd be looking at us like, whoa, why are they the same but different? Like, why is he white? And why has he got drawing on his legs? Well, it's really interesting because they, he makes this point as well, is that, like, we we segregate and we separate everyone and that to an external viewer, they'd just be like, they're all the same. Just mm. like we look at all the different monkeys and we're like, oh, that one's got a big red bum and that one doesn't have a big red bum, but they're still monkeys. Yeah. True, yeah. true. Because, I don't know, I was thinking, like, they'd see us with, like, you know, a fade and they'd be like, no, they wouldn't fucking look into those kind of details, would they? Probably You're right. Not, yeah. No. Just like we don't see the nuance in, you know, a colony of 10,000 ants. They're just mm -hmm. ants. Yeah. Yeah, true. It's it's actually a pretty, it's a pretty full-on book because it's all really simple, logical stuff, but you just never think of it. 
Do you mind if I borrow it when you're done? What's an audiobook? Ah, oh, that's right. You like audiobooks. You can log into my account. No, that's okay. <laughs> I want to buy the book. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, oh, wait. Before we move on to the next quote, I want to hear about your winter solstice night. It was so good. It was freezing, though. It got down to like four degrees. Was so, it Sir, is it Sir Duncan Park? What's the name? I think that was, was the it? park. It was in Beachmont. Oh. So good. It's like 40 minutes from so here. So good there, yeah. For, for our listeners first, tell them what, what is a winter solstice night. It's the longest night of the year. And what did you do? And I went up to an astronomy night where um, it's run by this local family. Like it's not like this big professional thing. It's just this family and the dad has been into astronomy for like 20 years and he just gets up and he just starts talking to you about the stars. And there was like 50 people there and you just bring bring blankets, sit on the ground. They provide like hot drinks and stuff and you can ask him any questions about the universe and he'll just tell you. And then they've got telescopes set up, pointed at uh, – one was pointed at Alpha Centauri, which is the closest star to us. It's 4.2 light years away. Another one was pointed at the moon. One was pointed at the Sombrero Galaxy and the other one was pointed at this globular cluster, which is like a cluster of stars. And, yeah, he just – you just have a look through that and he – yeah, it just goes through all this stuff about the universe. Mm. And next month it's about black holes. So I'm going to go to that one as well. Was it a clear night? It was a clear night. They let you know about two hours beforehand whether the weather's going to be good. Yeah. And if it's going to be cloudy, then they reschedule. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was so much fun. The whole thing goes for about two or three hours. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I loved it. And you get there and they give you a star chart of what you're going to be looking at for the night. And they give you like a red torch because that doesn't affect your night vision. And so you just look at it with the red torch and it was so good. Yeah, I want to awesome. go to everyone. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you know what I love? I love people that have really obscure interests that aren't like generic. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm into basketball. Everyone's fucking into basketball. I think astronomy is a pretty so big interest though. Like mm, general interest. Like, well, I, I don't know. I don't see it because I don't know anyone besides you that's into astronomy. Yeah. And then like hearing the way you guys talk about movies and things like that, I'm like, that's so cool. Like for me, it's it's new. Opening it's up a new world. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's the same in, in how deep you are into your interests and passions. Yeah, look how much I love like MMA now. Like, even this morning, <laughs> posting about your shoes. Yeah. I was like caught up in reading about like the history of the other collab, the one that you posted mm. yesterday and then this one. Yeah, actually so many people have been messaging me about that. And uh, someone said uh, you should start a podcast. And I was like, nah, because I don't actually buy shoes anymore. Mm. But I feel like I, I'm a, uh, you know me, Thomas. I feel like I'm pretty. Once I'm into something, I'm, I hyper fixate on things. Yes. So I learn everything about things. Yes, that H is the H in ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we've spoken about this. And then uh, is that what the H stands for? Yeah, hyperactivity. Oh, hyperactivity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. hypertrophy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so like with sneakers, I know I was like, no, but I think I could be a good sneaker historian. Absolutely. Because mm. mm. I'm. We were at a concert, me and Bridget, last year, and I said, name every, you point out any shoe and I'll name every shoe and tell you about them. And he did. Every single shoe. And she'd go on Google, look it up. And I was like, told you, told you, told you. Mm. Crazy. Yeah, pretty random. Yeah. No, it's just if you're interested with ADHD, if you're interested (laughs) in something and you go deep in it, you just don't forget. It Mm. just stays there forever. It's really weird though how like the learning process is so different to anything and you don't realise... Because it's not learning, I guess, like you said, it's an interest. Well, it is learning. It's yeah. just not learning in the conventional sense of what we think learning is because we're uh, conditioned to school, like learning math. Yeah, true. That's wild. All right, my quote, the best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today. I like that. Nice. Simple one. Yeah. AKA the first one that came up on Google. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tom Brass. Mine is... 
Uh, wait, hang on. Those who were seen dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. Like that too. That is cool. Nice. Love that. I one. love that. Thanks, mm. Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Have you ever seen those like um, raves where it's just the headphones? Yeah. Yeah, silent disco. I've been yeah. to some of them. <laughs> the, the, uh, we had one at our church once and it is the weirdest thing. Yeah. Because you, you're seeing everyone like, you're just hearing footsteps and like it's such a weird thing. It's like the, when the music cuts out at the gym and all you hear is, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it happened last night. <laughs> it's the worst. Uh, Laura, um, uh, Laura Linden was saying that when she comes in early in the morning, everyone's wearing headphones and mm. that's what it's like. It's just dead silent yeah. and it's just like a little bit of clanging and banging of weights and then just breathing and grunting. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Sorry, keep going, oh, CJ. Man. No, yeah, it, it's it's the weirdest thing. But then you put the headphones on and you're like singing with everyone. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it it is it does look insane. I've been to <laughs> one where there were two different channels that you could switch between. So like two different songs were playing, and like some people would be listening to one, and then you'd see everyone else start to go off, and you'd be like, oh, that one must be good. So you'd switch the other channel, mm. start dancing to that one. It's so Get fun. FOMO and everyone. <laughs> They're yeah. singing something. That's yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, my quote, it is, uh, it's not necessarily the mountain that stops you, but the rocks in your shoes. So I think nice. we can be very quick to just look at what external and blame it on that one. Really, we should be looking internally. Nice. Yeah. I like that. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, <coughs> right. Before we go any further, James, tell us about your shoes. What's, what's prompted this? Wearing the shoes and then forcing, forcing me <laughs> to bust out my, my heat. <laughs> forcing me. Um, I don't know. I just had a lot of shoes and I was thinking, I don't wear anything but those Nike runners every day. Mm. So I was like, okay, I better start wearing, I'm going to try wear a different pair of shoes every day to work. Those are nice. Yeah. They are nice. So what I'm wearing today is I'm wearing the New Balance 550s. <coughs> um, these originally released in 1989 as a basketball shoe. Uh, and then after that, I think after 1990, New Balance disappeared completely as a basketball shoe, and they came back in 2021 with a new basketball line, signed Kawhi Leonard, Jamal Murray, DeJounte Murray, other players as such, and they re-released these, which is a really cool shoe, and uh, a New Balance 550. Wow. So I'm... What I'm doing at the moment is I've actually got heaps of uh, messages about it. It's really cool, and um, about shoes because I love shoes. I don't really buy shoes anymore, but so I'm trying to wear a different pair every day, and I'm trying to give a little bit of facts about the shoes that I'm wearing. Mm. That's mm. Cool. See, this makes me feel like f such a fraud because my equivalent is uh, I'm wearing Jordan ones. <laughs> That's it. Nah, Tom Bro knows. He knows. Are you gonna start wearing? Yours every day, like a different pair? No, nah, I've decided I'll bust out a different pair for the podcast only. Ah, but nice. you I can keep having a different pair for ages. Otherwise, it's going to be... Because someone messaged me last night and they said, um, you must have a really expensive collection. And I said, not as much as Tom Bros. Because what do you reckon, if you sold your collection right now and your Gosh. size as well, what do you reckon yours is worth? So much math. Mm, I don't know. A lot. Do you reckon 30K? Um, Maybe not that much. Yeah. I've I've got forty something pairs. Yeah, uh, and most of them wouldn't be worth more than more than like five hundred bucks. Yeah, true. But then then there's a few like heavy hitters in there. What's your most expensive pair? Like the most expensive that I've paid, or the one that's worth the most? The one that's worth the most, probably the Chicago ones. 
Yeah. yeah. 2015 Chicago ones. Shout out uh, Richie Chin from uh, Nexus Performance. He loves your sneaker collection. And he oh. said Chicago ones is a dream shoe. Yeah. my mm. So I think about this actually quite a lot. My dream pair was also always fragment ones. Yeah. And I went to the States in 2015 and our dollar was almost dollar for dollar. And I went to a, a famous sneaker store in Vegas and they had like 10 pairs of them out on display. And I'm like, I really want them. And there was no way I could justify the price tag. And now if I bought it, they would be worth like at least 10 times more, maybe more. They'd be like, I don't know how much they go for now. Eight or nine grand or something. Crazy. That's nuts. Is that the blue, those frags? Yeah, the yeah. blue and white with a little stamp thing on it. Yeah, they're very nice. I remember that actually when you were going to get them. Yeah, insane. But like there's no way I was spending that much money on a pair of shoes. And honestly, I haven't really spent that much money on all my shoes. I've just hardly worn them so they're in great condition or like one once kind of thing. Uh, and fucking the last dance just put everything through the roof mm. in terms of the value of them. Because mm. that's like my sh- my sneaker collection. Like you, I don't really have any hype sho- like hype shoes. Mm. Or when I buy them, they're really random. So I don't really have like really hype shoes. I've just kind of, uh, I'm not trying to sound like a fucking hipster by saying I like something before it's trended. But at the time I bought them because I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Mm. And then later on, they've actually become kind of popular that sounds so wanky to say but it's kind of true i don't yeah. know mm. what about you guys is there anything that you've collected in your time yeah i collect a lot of alien memorabilia nice also a pair of shoes oh yeah bridge has got a hectic pair of shoes so every uh for every year on alien day which is april 26 lv426 that's the moon that ripley first discovers the aliens on so on the 26th of april reebok would release some special alien stompers because in the 1986 movie, um, Reebok sponsored the movie and Ripley and Bishop wore some Reebok shoes. Mm. So they remade Ripley's shoes and they didn't make them in women's sizes, which I was really annoyed about. And they only made 426 pairs and the website crashed. They sold out so quick. <laughs> yeah, wow. So I never got a pair and now they're online for like three grand. I'm not paying that because I won't even be able to wear them because they're too big. But every year after that, they would release more and every year I miss out. And then the final year they released um, the last pair, I got them. And these ones were to represent the Marines, the Colonial Marines, and like this sort of like an army green color, and it comes yeah, with all this nice. cool stuff. Yeah, so the, yeah. The packaging mine. is crazy on them as well. Yeah, it's like it looks kind of like a ship. Yeah, the, and it's like black, like out of space, and yeah, they're sick. Yeah, they're insane. Yeah, I love them. But yeah, that's all I collect. That's CJ. Collect I don't know anything. if I collect anything. I don't think I do. Um, I'm like. No, I don't really collect anything, but I'll hold on to, um, I'm, what do you call it? I'm sentimental about stuff, so I'll, I'll mm. hold on to random stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't really go out and collect anything. Um, I do have quite a few pairs of shoes, and like, it's so funny when you started talking about like how you want to wear, and you pay, it was literally that week I was thinking the same thing, going like, every day I get up and I'm like, oh, I only have this, I only wear this pair. And I, re- I realized, like, I, I almost was like, I don't have enough shoes to wear. But then I look at the bookshelf, like, my mom stuffed everything in a bookshelf. And I'm like, I haven't touched these shoes in months. Like, there's shoes in here that I haven't even put on. And here I'm wearing the exact same pair going, I have nothing to wear. <laughs> you know, what I mean? I'm like, oh, I really should put these other shoes <laughs> on because they're just sitting there getting really dusty. Mm. So, yeah. Actually, before, before you continue, I remember... So I, when I was a kid, we're all into Pokemon cards, yeah? Mm. I remember on my birthday, I got birthday money from my granny in Scotland. 
And I remember I spent it on a Charizard card at the Rickerton Markets. Nice. For $120. Nice. And my mum and dad were furious. Like they could not (laughs) believe I spent that money. Because you know when you're a kid, you have to ask your parents first. Like, hey, I want to spend it on this. Yeah. But I just did it. $120. It's your money. Yeah, but my brother listens to this podcast. They're $42,000 now for a Charizard. At least. Yeah. At least. Where's the card? I don't know. Oh, no. (laughs) So I went to to the Pokemon movie, Hoyt's 8, before it fell over in the earthquake. Uh, I went to the Pokemon movie, and the first Pokemon movie, you got a limited edition one of four cards. Uh, There was like four cards that they'd give out at the movie on random. So I got the Mewtwo. Uh, and that is worth tens of thousands of dollars these days as well. And I had a Pokemon collection as a kid, and my mum, when we got the internet, Googled, uh, is Pokemon evil? Because we were very, very, very heavily conservative Christian. And of course, if you Google is Pokemon evil, you're going to find out it is. So I had to burn it. She made me throw all my stuff in the fire. So now it's on my body, mum. What are you going to do about that? You going to burn my leg? Burn my leg. My brother um, has a collection of X-Men cards out at my parents' house from, like, the early 90s, which I think would be worth a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And older NRL cards. We, cards. Sh- we should go. You know there's a card collector shop on the street. Oh, really? Yeah, we should go there. I gave all my basketball cards to Josiah, but I had Googled them, and they weren't worth that much. Like, oh. they were originally 50 cents, and I think they were worth, like, 5 bucks or 10 bucks. That's no- pretty good. Nothing crazy. And there weren't that many. Oh, there is one thing I have. Which I just ruined. I don't know. I was just, I didn't realize the value of it as a kid. Um, when I was oh, maybe eight, nine years old, the Queensland Maroons were doing autographing at Pack Fair. And I got a ball and got them signed by that, like the 2008, oh no, 2005 or 2016. Um but I just played with the ball because <laughs> <laughs> it was the only footy I had. So I would take to the park and kick goals and run out with them with all the signatures on it. I still have the ball, but the signatures are like so faded. faded. Yeah. See, I like that because you it's got real. to, en- yeah, you got to enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Because that's also what I thought, Tom, bro. I was just thinking, I don't enjoy any of these shoes. They're just sitting there. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you can never foresee, I tried to foresee the value of something that I loved, but also thought, man, this could go big as SpongeBob. Mm. So I have a huge, I still have it, a huge SpongeBob memorabilia. You've collection. got a crazy SpongeBob collection, eh? Like a lot. Uh, and. Because at the time, I just loved Spongebob, so I started collecting stuff. And then I was like, this could be worth something someday. So I just stored it all away. Most of it was kid stuff that I was never going to use anyway, but I still have it for some reason. It's not worth a dime. Do you still collect really? Spongebob stuff? No. No. No, I haven't for many, many years. But like the, the stuff that goes off is always the stuff that you can't predict. Yeah. yeah. We see like the original Jordan ones, like how many tens of thousands are they worth these days? When you bought them, you back in 1985, you were just like sick pair of shoes that Michael Jordan wears. Hundred mm, that, percent, and that's what makes it cool. Yeah, you gotta enjoy it. No, nah, mm. I like that. I like that philosophy. Shoes were made to be worn. Yeah, mm-hmm. rock, yeah, rock don't stock. Says the guy that has a box full of hardly worn <laughs> shoes. In my defense, none of them fit anymore. Oh really? Yeah, because I stopped wearing shoes around in the gym, like. I don't know, six years ago. My feet have slowly like flattened and spread out. Mm. So they don't really fit in most shoes. Damn. All right, Tombro. Oh, by the way, we're 24 minutes deep, which is fine. We're going to get into the Powling stuff in probably about six minutes time, I reckon. <laughs> but everyone loves us talking about this. So it's, it's cool. Um, have you seen the new Spider-Man yet, Tombro? No. No. No spoilers. Yeah, you need to go see it. Yeah, hurry up. So we can talk yeah, about okay, it. Okay, all right. I'm doing my best, okay? There's stuff going on. 
<laughs> stuff going on. What do you mean you're not that busy, bro? You only own fucking 29 gyms and coach 70,000 people. One day. One day I'll go. Uh, Have you seen the new Mario movie? No. Oh. No, not yet, but I heard it's amazing. It's so good. Mm. That's one I'll wait till it goes to Blu-ray. Blu-ray? I don't <laughs> think they I'm kidding. print Blu-rays. <laughs> Uh, Tombra, how's your training going? Yeah, pretty good. I'm going to have one last hoorah at raw powerlifting. So let's go. Even Sue came up to me the other day after watching me squat and was like, What are you doing? <laughs> like, no, I'm actually a powerlifter somewhere in there. <laughs> so I started bringing back some, some raw training as of this week, and I'm just going to slowly build upon it. Uh, and yeah, so I'm very sore, but feel good. Nice. What about you, CJ? It's been good. Um, then it's slowly getting more consistent. Wait, sorry, can I interrupt? Yeah. Are we going to see you squat 300 this year? I don't know. I want to. I want, <laughs> do I want to squat 300? Absolutely. I don't I don't know if this, who knows when it's going to happen. We'll see. But I want to. When really you do, badly. can you please change your Instagram to like world's strongest barber? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't think I am. But, um, yeah, uh, tr- yeah, training's been <laughs> training's been good. Get um, kind of like finally back into routine. Like the doms aren't killing me so bad, and um, just training normally now. Um, uh, a lot of like I did a lot of shifts in my technique when um I was like rehabbing because it was real light and uh you know especially with squat and dead so it feels a lot better now. But now that I, as I'm like loading the bar more, it's like making sure I don't go back to old habits. Mm. And like trying to hold that same position, and remember the old cues. So, yeah, it's it, it's made lifting interesting. It's again. one of the plus sides of getting injured. I think you become hyper yeah. aware of your position and yeah, how everything feels. Yeah, where where what do you call it? where you are in space? Mm-hmm. That's like the perfect way to put it. Um, yeah, Judge Doodle, how's your training? Yeah, good. I started a new block yesterday, and I'm back squatting again. So nice. Yeah, it was good. Just taking it really light and really easy and seeing how it feels. You're going to compete at the end of the year? If I feel good enough. Nice. I'm not expecting to hit any PBs. This will just be purely for fun because I promised Grace that if she signed up for the Christmas Cup that I would do it with her. So, <laughs> nice. <yeah. laughs> well, not if. If, 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 if send butts with candy and nuts. <laughs> how does that finish? How does yeah, that I have no idea. I've, I've never heard, heard the end of it. Yeah. I haven't <laughs> heard that since I was a kid. Damn. Um, did you get any questions on your Instagram? Yeah, I did. I got a few. Any good ones? Uh, there, there are some. Well, that's what I wanted to get into the topic, topics on the opinions, because there are some things that are. That's what sparked the idea. Okay. Yeah. Um. Give me might, more. Let's get into it. So, I just wanted to talk about opinions. What do they mean? Why do they make people upset? Why do we feel we need to always voice our opinions, especially as coaches on Instagram? Anyone got anything they want to say just straight off the bat on that? Ego drives opinion and mm. social media has inflated everybody's ego. That's my opinion. It's so funny. Like, no, you're wow, right. You egotistical. <laughs> but like, do you guys sometimes just sit back and laugh and think, these guys are arguing over their own opinions? Mm. Yeah, it's very silly. Yeah, they're just going to... It's entertaining though. So it, people watch it. So, you know. Mm. Well, can, think of it like this. An opinion is a statement of fact based on everything that you know. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't know everything, which you definitely don't know everything, 
there has to be at least some hole in your opinion. But until you see that evidence, you're not going to change your mind. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. When two, because like we've spoken about this in many shapes and forms on the podcast before, but if two differing viewpoints, let's call them opinions, uh, are so set in stone because all the evidence that they've found points to them believing that thing, no one's going to change each other's mind. Yeah. Because they can't see the rest of it. The, the analogy that I always come back to is the statement, I've tried every diet and I can't lose weight. So as a coach, you hear that and you're like, well, you haven't. You just haven't. Something's missing. And I think the same every time I see an opinion that I disagree with based on the fact that I've seen that very thing work. So a really common one is uh, that's becoming proliferating the industry is like constraints, not cues. Queuing doesn't work. Don't overcue your clients. It's like, well, you're going to go to an alternative method like using constraints if you don't have the language to get the client to do what you want to do. If you keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over and you can't change what's happening within their movement, you're going to think that queuing doesn't work. Or if you see everyone else doing that, you're going to think that queuing doesn't work. Whereas for me, I'm like, I've worked really hard for the last decade to find language to get people to do exactly what I want them to do. And if it doesn't work, I can regress in that movement to find a point at which it does and then build upon it from there. The weird thing about that... Oh, am I working? Yep. Yes. The weird thing about the weird thing about the constraints versus cues thing is when people are saying like, "Oh, you're queuing," uh, you know, you're you're stunting your client's progress with the cues. It's like the people that say that. How do you know that? <laughs> do you know what I mean? They're just making a wild assumption, and they're just confirming. Like we do it too. They're confirming their own bias, and that's what we look for. Like, how do we know? The trick that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the extra irony of it is that, like, let's say a squat versus a leg press. It's like put someone on a leg press because it creates constraints. Absolutely, hundred percent agree with that, and that is absolutely used for it. In my opinion, leg press is the gold standard accessory for squats and deadlifts. However, you put someone from a squat to a uh, a leg press. Yeah, there's extra constraints. You still have to cue them how to do it. Like you're cueing regardless of what you want. Like even if I just say, okay, I'm not going to cue. Just get on there, push it up and down. If I see something going drastically wrong outside of what I believe the gold standard of that movement to be, I'm still going to say, oh, yeah, that was good, but try doing this. Push through your feet like this. Move your feet in this position. Do this with your legs or your knees or your hips. There's cueing on every layer. So the the whole argument is kind of bunk. My goodness. Am I good? You're good. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Yeah, that's a weird one because like – Sorry, CG, you might have to edit some of this. Just um, pull the thing out and plug it back in and see if that fixes it. That thing is just real loose for some reason. Yeah, so like the whole thing with the the cues are like, you know, like with the leg press and the squat, yeah, they are completely different skills. But the reason why we take them to a leg press, it's, uh, you know, it requires a lot less skill to perform a leg press. And that way they can, you know, we can cue them in that position. Then when that, it's more applicable for the squat. It's easy for them to understand. They're not trying to hold their upper back. They're not trying to hold a barbell on their back while balancing on two feet. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's just see the other really important thing that you've explained there is just context in general. Mm-hmm. And th- this is where a lot of differing opinions on the internet happen. You read someone's tiny little snippet of what they believe without their context and then you apply your context, which might be completely different. I've been planning on making a post about this for a while, which is like the notion that I've built Zero, I've built this coaching brand, I've coached more, uh, I've, I've had more achievements from a coaching perspective than any other coach that I know in the world uh, on beliefs like 
knees in is bad. Rounding your back on deadlifts is bad. And people will hear that and arc up and be like, what the fuck? Because I'm not giving them the context. Mm-hmm. They're just applying their own context and they're assuming something like knees in equals injury. That's not what I'm saying. I don't care about injury. I care about people getting strong. So it's a completely different context. And so uh, this whole idea of uh, uh, what opinions are and then getting arced up about other opinions, we kind of have to have empathy because we approach it in exactly the same way as the people that we disagree with. Mm. And like I said before about the confirmation bias thing, like when we, when we, uh, when you often look at people that, you know, admire another coach or they look up to a coach, a lot of the time they are just confirming their own biases. That's why they think they're so great. And when you hear someone that you admire that you put on a pedestal and you think, oh, wait, they believe the same shit as me. That means it must be right. What I'm doing is right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I feel like that, that is uh, like, that is a good thing to an extent um, because you, you do want to, you, you know, you, I don't even know. It helps you sharpen your sword. Right now. Yeah, 100%. It helps you. It helps because confirming your biases is a great thing. Mm. We, we all operate on our set of biases. So it can give you more and more evidence that what you're doing is on, along the right path. And you have to just be careful that it doesn't make you close-minded to other ideas. Yeah, because people can only speak from their own experience, but it's exactly. always good to go into things with an open mind. Exactly. So by the same token, I think it's really important to continue following, interacting, engaging, reading, listening to people you don't completely agree with. That's cool. Like my, my perfect example of that is Angus Bradley. Like I, I disagree with a lot of Angus Bradley's stuff, but I love Angus Bradley. I love how he conducts his, uh, how he, <laughs> I love, I love Angus, Angus Bradley. I think he's done a really good job of maximizing the tool of social media. Uh, and even though I might not necessarily completely agree with a lot of stuff that he says, he also says it in a way that leaves it very open-ended for you to create your own context And it's a real test because if you get arced up by what he says, disagreeing is different to getting arced up. Like if you get emotional about what he says, you fucking have to check yourself and be like, why am I getting so upset about what some random dude is saying on the Mm. internet? I do love it because often, like you said, he leaves his his content uh, open to your own interpretation. And then you always see someone blowing up in the comments or saying, and his response is always like, oh, I never said that. (laughs) Yep, yep, 100%. 100%. It's it's a real test for weak-mindedness. As, as harsh as that is to say. Because, like, for example, one thing, uh, we're giving Angus Bradley such a plug. I love the guy. If he's, if Angus, if you're in, ever in Queensland, I want you on the podcast because you're a legend. Uh, one thing he says frequently uh, that I disagree with based on our own practice and how we conduct our coaching is the whole idea of, like, proactive versus reactive deloads. Like, he's really against, and so, so is a big camp of people really against the idea of uh, proactive deloads. Uh, and it's just separate context it's just a a different different approach like how we approach training how we approach training blocks has a super high degree of predictability and so within that we can buffer certain variables to make sure that the block length achieves the desired outcome Uh, and we do that using a proactive deload and maybe we do extend or reduce a block which then becomes reactive the the reality is, is everything exists on a spectrum or a continuum and falls in the middle and when some, some, someone says something really matter-of-fact like that, it's easy to arc up. What you have to do is read it and be like, "What? where are they coming from? Why are they saying this? But also, is what I'm doing serving its purpose, getting results? Am I confident in what I'm doing? Because if you're insecure or unconfident in what you're doing, you'll get offended. Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing though. Like, It's more so what I reckon. It's the word deload that pisses people off. If we just called it week five, yeah. I feel like no one would bat an eye. 
<laughs> we called it week five. Week five, intro week. Yeah. Outro recovery week. Recovery week. Yeah. Recovery week. So many words you can mm. just put on it to change the the emotional attachment to mm. it. That's it. At the end of that, it's just terminology. Like yeah. a deload to us might be completely different to fucking someone else. And yeah, like what well, what's the purpose of a deload? I guess it's just to like dissipate fatigue and, you know, set you up for your next block. It doesn't matter how you're doing it. It doesn't matter how you label it. The goal is still the same. Mm. You're just trying to fucking... You know, uh, what do you want to say? Yeah, dissipate a little bit of fatigue, wash away fatigue, whatever you want to fucking say. Setting you up for your next cycle of training. We we can draw on CJ's bro for inspiration here. Uh, Jordan Peterson. <laughs> he he says, he, he often uses this line around the fact that uh, anything that you say that's important is going to offend someone. Mm. I mean, what the bloody hell are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we've got the three-piece suit. But why, um, so why when we're writing programs, why can we be so prepared in terms of programming? Uh, when you're writing a program, you can be so prepared and mapping out sets and reps for weeks. So you can predict these things. You're predicting outcomes to an extent. Mm-hmm. But when you want to uh, be prepared and program someone deload, why does that offend people? <laughs> yeah and again it, it comes from different contexts i mean mm. like the context with with my style of zero style of programming is that i've been running a con- consistent programming style across multiple archetypes of people that i can group categorically for the last eight to ten years like sample size of thousands that has been slowly refined and honed into what it is now uh, that creates a high degree of predictability there's always going to be outliers, but for the most part, we can box almost everyone into some sort of category. And the important thing to remember is that line that I always say, which is we're all the same animal doing the same thing. Recovery, strength, performance, conditioning, these are all trainable qualities that we can change in someone. And if your programming style has always been a little bit more sporadic or a little bit more chaotic, as in week-to-week programming, changing based on how someone feels, then of course everything is going to look very random. And so your only solution to that is like program randomly with what I know how to do, with how I know how to drive this machine. And then when the time comes that I feel someone needs a deload, program them a deload. That is a perfectly reasonable, successful way to program. And you will get results doing that if you're consistent with the method of doing it. Just like we get results consistently with the method. Like I don't need to defend our programming because... The proof is just look at the lifters, Mm. look at the progress, look at the performance. And same thing for people who program opposite. They're coming from the same viewpoint, which is what I'm saying. Like your your opinion is based on fact. So for someone on the other side of the fence who does program randomly, who believes in reactive, not proactive deloads, if they're getting results, they're like, look at this shit. It works. I'm like, look at our shit. It works. We're both right. Mm. I wipe my ass with toilet paper. My ass is clean. I wipe my ass with sandpaper. My ass is still clean. Oh. They both work. That's a horrible fucking <laughs> analogy. But yeah. I thought I'd use something really far-fetched. Um, you can edit that out Ouch. if you want, CJ. But no, you can turn that Ouch. into an Angus, Angus Bradley-style post. Just yeah. a text post that's like, wipe your ass with toilet paper or sandpaper. Either way, you're clean. The difference is how it feels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the outcome is still the same. How it feels. Um, so I just want to, because I hadn't... A question from one of my uh, online clients. Oh, I can't stop picturing wiping my bum with sandpaper. I know, that's all I can think Don't about do that. now. What grit would you suggest? <laughs> <laughs> the highest. Um, so Dave Rumsley, he messaged me. Uh, he sent me, actually. I love Dave 
Dave Rumsley. He just competed at uh, APL Nationals. Um, went nine for nine. Well done. Uh, how do you reckon these would go in a volume block, seeing as the load is generally pretty low? He sent me Squat University's video. Um, so that's where he first went wrong. No, I'm just joking. I love Squat University <laughs> as well. But it was a video of Jen Smith. Uh, On not, Squat University? No, no, no. Jen Thompson, sorry. Oh, okay. Another big venture. So Jen Thompson, IPF lifter, under 50, under 63 kg lifter. Yeah. Benches around 150. Yeah, 140 to 150. Multiple world records. She's holder. fucking so strong. But um, she's doing static holds with like 180 kilos. Mm-hmm. And Dave was like, hey, do you reckon these would be a good idea? No. Yeah, yeah. so I I said, uh, I just said, oh, they're quite unnecessary if the goal is purely just building strength. Mm-hmm. If you get into powerlifting, I'm pretty sure that's the goal. Your goal is just to get stronger. Mm-hmm. And he goes, um, you don't agree with the neural side of it? He goes, not arguing, just learning uh, from as many sources as I can and cross-reference them with all each other. And I said, no, I love these conversations. Never ha- uh, never hesitate to ask any, uh, any questions. I'll answer it as best as I can. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, I definitely understand the neural side, but realistically, what? no, that was me, sorry. <laughs> and then um, he goes, fair enough. I just know personally the numbers freak me out. They did at least. And I'd always have that one rocky set where it got over a certain weight. I just wonder if exposing the body to a static weight over and above the weight it can actually move. When time comes to load up a new max, there's one less unknown in the mix. I'm far from a neural expert though. All I've got is anecdotal and limited personal experience. Mm -hmm. I think that's cool. Um, My answer to that is how did Joseph Whitaker squat 460? He didn't get stronger by trying to squat 460. 60 kilos. We kind of use the same answer for everything. But he got stronger by squatting 100 kilos. He got stronger by squatting 200 kilos. He mm-hmm. got stronger by squatting 300 kilos. So I just said to him, it's more so an emotional attachment to X, the number on the bar, than anything. You just have to remind yourself, during those times, it's nothing more than arbitrary measure of resistance. Thank you, Tombro. <laughs> I love using that. <laughs> so uh, he hit three PBs at comp on all his third attempts. Was it a coincidence? No. It was an accumulation of all the work he's done previously at far lighter loads. You practice the skill of squat, bench, and deadlift, and even though our sport is about expressing slash displaying your strength, I think the skill acquisition side is equally slash and or more important to recognize. What do you guys think? Well, my my challenge would be think of the argument or think of the, the points that he's making and whether or not they're valid, right? So does it make sense... For someone to hold a heavy weight to overcome the psychological uh, aspect of what it's like to have a really heavy weight on your back, I would say it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, like the the whole idea of static holds, the justification, like what he's coming from, based on what he listened to from from Jen Thompson or Squat University or whatever it was, it makes sense, it makes logical sense, uh, and to some degree, it might even work in that way. Uh, what you're saying makes a shitload of sense, which is why you're saying it. And you've got the evidence to back it up, which is like, hey, look, you didn't do this, but then you did this. Like, you can do it. That argument from from lifters often comes from a um, uh, a lack of experience, a lack of exposure to what it's like to peak and then lift more than you ever have. And what maturity comes with experience is the idea that pretty much what you said, the weight is, the number doesn't matter. It's just weight. Like at some point, it just becomes heavy, medium, light, and when it's heavy, what's the difference between 200 and 200.1 kilos? Like you don't feel that difference. It's just heavy. And people who are less experienced really can't get past the fact that the heaviness is related to a number. And that's where that comes from. 
They're just like, because the question that you, sh- you can ask back to someone like that, okay, let's do a heavy hold. What weight? Like, oh, I don't know. More? Okay, why why 145 if your max is 140? Why not 150? Why not 180? Why not 300? Like, why that specific weight? Because uh, it's heavy. Like, if you if you shoot back really logical questions and try and sit on this plane of logic, you're both going to raise really good points. Uh, the more that you have evidence to support whatever your point is, the more you can get that point across. But, I mean, this is where trusting in the coaching process comes in. Mm. Uh, big, big Colton in South Africa asked me the same thing. Uh, and bear in mind, even though he's one of the strongest people in the world currently and will be one of the strongest, if not the strongest person in the world under the 110 weight ki- uh, weight class within the next two years, he's brand new to powerlifting. Like he's only done a few big comps. Uh, and he was asking the question, should I be doing heavy holds to get used to feeling a heavy weight on my back? Like, well, think of the perspective. To me, everything he does is heavy. He's yeah. fucking strong as fuck. That's what I was just thinking. What does he want to hold on his back? Yeah, I know. Like, where's the limit? You have to put 600 kilos on his back soon. <laughs> uh, and so I actually had much the same conversation as you only like a month ago with, with Colton, mm. which is like, basically it's like, look, you can do it and it might help psychologically, but it's not going to give you the edge. And the biggest thing from a logical perspective is like, sure, Dave, put 150 kilos in your hand that doesn't change the fact that at some point you're going to have to come down to your chest and push it back up. So let's meet in the middle. What's a more realistic way of doing this? Maybe put a slingshot on and take the weight through full range. That's going to give you more confidence because not only have you held it, you've pressed it. The easiest part of bench press, of squat, is unracking and holding it there. That's the easiest part. Why get good at the easy part? Get good at the hard part. Spend time at the bottom. Do pause squats. Do tempo squats. Do slingshot. Do overload. Do reverse bend. That probably makes more logical sense. Mm. You seem to know a lot about coaching. Is there anywhere <laughs> someone can uh, learn about coaching? I'm or? glad you asked, James. <laughs> no. no. Well, actually, now that you mentioned it, there a coach development course hit me up starting next week. Well, someone actually mentioned I didn't say that last on last week's podcast. Oh, the call out. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, all right, got to say it again. So, yeah, sign up for coach development program. That's how, uh, just for the record, I don't ask James to do this. <laughs> He's just started doing it. And I'm not upset about it. <laughs> It's good though. And I like how someone pointed out that I didn't say it last week. Yeah. They look forward to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Listening. But yeah, do the coach development program. It's really good. Um, so yeah, on the topic of opinions, I'm just going to chuck out some things. You guys give me your opinions on it. Uh, a loose upper back in the squat. Bollocks. Bollocks. Cool. What, what about it? So I've just seen some content floating around uh, about, you know, if someone's in a more flex position, because, uh, you know, the way we coach the squat, we're in a really retractive position. We're trying to create as much tension as we can through upper back, pulling our shoulders back as hard as we can um, and holding that position through full range. That's how we teach the squat. Or that's how a lot of us, you know, uh, that's how we, to us, that's perfect technique. Mm-hmm. That's our gold standard. But then there's another, uh, there's another crowd that argue, no, it's fine to have a flexed upper back in the squat. And once again, this is going back to what we talked about before. Like if someone's getting results from having a flexed upper back, yeah, sweet. I guess what they're doing is right. But what we're doing is right as well, according to us. Mm. What, are, what are your opinions on it? Can I go? 100%. <laughs> <laughs> uh, without no, I, ha- I actually have no idea who you're talking about mm-hmm. or, or where this content is coming from. My assumption would be that whoever's saying this typically has the bar lower than low bar. They have the bar too low down their back. 
And so if if the bar is too low down your back, oh, sorry, let's go back a step. When you flex your spine, when you when you round your upper back forward, think of what that's doing. That's pushing the bar forward. And so to counteract the bar going forward, you have to go backwards. And so when you put the bar too low down your back, if you flex the bar forward, it's now sitting over your center of balance. It's now sitting sort of over the over the middle of your foot. Uh, and so effectively that'll shorten the lever between the bar and your hips and make for a more efficient squat if you're ignoring strength transfer. Like if you're just looking at vector arms and moment arms on a piece of paper, that'll make for a quote-unquote more efficient squat. It'll actually make it super inefficient because the pathway from where the power is coming from, the muscles, your legs, and the hips, to where the power is going, the bar on your back, is going to be fractured by the looseness in your upper back. It's going to be lost there. So those people, when they go heavy and fail, they're going to fold in half, the hips are going to shoot back, they're going to end up in a really folded good morning position and just fail. Mm. I'm going to use just previous experience and like anecdotal evidence. So like for a lot of people I coach, uh, probably same with you, Thomas and Bridget, if they're going to fail a squat, it's not because their legs are weak. It's normally because their upper back's weak and the same thing that happens. They'll kind of round over, they'll fold forward, do a good morning, the ball will roll over the head. Um, and it's quite often how you see really strong people at the top, but across any weight class actually, that's normally how they fail squats in competition. Because um, the number they've loaded on the bar, they're more than capable of doing, hence why they've loaded it on the bar in competition. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, why can people leg press so much more than they can squat? It's like the the actual strength of the legs, it, it plays a huge role, obviously. It's a thing that's doing all the work, but it's normally bottlenecked by something further up the system. Mm. Whether it's your brace, losing the position of your pelvis or your upper back, like you're saying, and normally it's bottlenecked by one of those things. I just, I, I keep using Angus Roxburgh as an example, but he's a very good example of this particular uh topic or opinion whatever you want to call it angus roxborough when he first started squatting he had the ability to squat a lot you've seen his legs they're mm. fucking they're huge he's very he's a very strong kid but what let him down at the start was his upper back mm-hmm. he could barely squat 170 like at his first comp it was 207 mm-hmm. um <clears throat> that was his third attempt but i remember jordan anderson said to me are you sure he can fucking yeah. open on 190 like he folded his back like doing 170 in the warm-up room I'm like oh that's something that we're working on so he's worked really hard on fixing his upper back. Um, and now he squats 242, seven months later. Mm. And I think that's a really, that's a, yeah, once again, confirming my bias. But exactly, yeah. Creating a nice tight upper back. That was his weakness. That was his biggest work on in the squat. And his squat's blown up. Mm. And you have to keep doing that. You have to keep trusting in what you know works until it doesn't. Until you, like, I am 100% confident that Angus's squat is held back by his upper back work on it for a year, his squat's no better. Then you're like, I was wrong, something else is going on and you have to learn from that. Mm. I am just very lucky that i got people like you, Khan, Jordan Halley are around me that I can ask questions to. And, you know, I've learned this system from you. That's how I coach. That's my coaching style. So I'm very lucky and fortunate that I have got you guys around me that, you know, can confirm some of the things that I'm doing if it's right or wrong. Um, the only difference is I'm 10 years ahead of everyone. Mm. Like it's, that's, that's it. I'm 10 years ahead coaching wise of you, or maybe a little bit less, you know? So I've made all those mistakes already. I've already done it. I've already made all those mistakes and the amount of people that have coached over the years are much higher volume than a lot of other people. And so not only have I made all the mistakes and seen all the successes, I've done it with a lot more people. So I've got a lot more evidence. That's why I can be so confident. I mean, you've you guys have seen me take people through technique sessions. How often do I say, oh, this is going on. So tell me, do you fail? Or I can tell you that when you go heavy, you're going to fail here and here and here. And they're like, whoa, yeah, that's exactly what happens. It's like, it's not, 
that I'm a wizard. It's that everyone's squat breakdowns are exactly the same. It's like three breakdowns that exist. They just look different on different people. So you can predict exactly what a max is going to look like watching them squat the empty bar if you've seen it enough times. It's just skill. It's just like you reciting your shoes because you've been exposed to it a thousand times. You just know. Um, <clears throat> a narrower stance in the sumo deadlift. I don't know if you've seen this like frog style sumo. Buttocks. Yeah. What are your opinions? Here's my opinion. They just don't know how to sumo properly. <laughs> just looks like a wide leg conventional. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. You lose the leg drive of conventional. You lose the hip drive of sumo rather than getting the best of both worlds you just end up with the worst of both worlds the, the question you always have to ask with like really alternative techniques is why has no one done it to this point like powerlifting is not that complicated squatman shitlift is not that complicated there's been so many different technical variations and the reason why everyone's doing particular things is because they work for the most part you know and the reason why you've very rarely if ever seen success with that sort of half stance sumo because it doesn't work it's, it's it's limited and then people will always play the card of ed cohen uh two things with ed cohen you can't look at the best in the world to draw inspiration because they're best in the world for multiple qualities that you probably don't have uh and the second thing is his sumo was actually closer to a real sumo he just has very odd proportions really long arms gigantic hands like freakishly big hands makes his arms super long and pretty short legs so with a narrower stance, if you look at him from the side, he pretty much satisfies what we're looking for in, in a quote-unquote perfect sumo. Apparently, so Ed Cohen's 5'5"? Five five? He's short, yeah. He's got size 14 feet, eh? Yeah, he's got big feet and huge what? hands. Yeah. He's built different. That's crazy. Yeah, he's like a hobbit. Yeah, he's a unit. Very much like, like hobbit, hobbit. hobbit mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> wow. Whoa. Yeah, absolute legend. Nicest guy around. All right, another thing, an opinion on frequency. Something that's really come back full circle in strength training. Frequency, crazy frequency. <laughs> Squatting that. five times a week, benching five, six times a week, deadlifting six times a week. We've got people that train here that do it. Mm. Um, are they getting stronger? Yes. Thomas, you got an opinion on it? I think I mentioned this the other week, that modern programming is not modern at all. It's just a ripoff of Shaco from back in the day. Uh, frequency is like quality over quantity, right? Uh, and they chase a lot of people chase quantity and in the process lack quality i made this prediction about five years ago and i can't remember if i did it publicly or just to friends but it's definitely come true and i'm gonna say it publicly now and you can watch and observe or you may be able to go back in time and watch and observe this but that style of programming so like hyper frequent very 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 limited in uh, accessory work hypertrophy that kind of stuff what you see is people get really strong really fast it's super effective at getting you strong to a point and so in the absence of all those foundational movements and building a good base of uh, strength and hypertrophy with accessory movements with realistic training you may be able to then go as a 75 kilo you know 20 year old male from a 100 kilo deadlift to a 300 kilo deadlift but the minute you come unstuck and lose position. You've got no safety net. So these people get really strong really fast and then either stagnate performance-wise or get injured and stagnate because of that. And guarantee, think of all the people that you, you follow who train like this, guarantee you'll either see it or they're currently going through it. A lot of people get blinded because those people are way stronger than them. And it's kind of like blasphemy to say like, this person's actually gotten no better at lifting. 
just because they're strong. Like you idolize them because they're so strong. Go on over powerlifting. Have a look at their results. Like were they deadlifting the same weight four years ago? Maybe they're not as good a powerlifter as you thought because a good powerlifter should be making consistent progress. On that note, don't look at my open powerlifting. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, don't look at mine either. No, nah, I'll contact Open Powerlifting and tell them to add all my excuses in there. <laughs> all, all my surgeries, it's got, all my excuses. It's got another list. All uh, my problems. There's another uh, line category yeah. of just... Uh, the reason why you did <laughs> so notes. shit at this comp. Yeah, notes. exactly. Had it, got sick the week before comp. Yeah. Um, all right. Another opinion on Bulldog Grip or Japanese Grip. Oh, you're busting out all the controversial ones, aren't yeah. you? Shout out Luke Jordan, the thousandth member, of, uh, the thousandth mem- subscriber, subscriber of the podcast. He brought this up to me yesterday. Mm. I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. Mm. What are your opinions? Uh, there aren't many people with a good bench press that bench press with a Japanese grip. For those who don't know, a Japanese That's grip is like that full on internally rotated grip. Um, that works tremendously well if your elbows don't cross anywhere near parallel. Similar to like an ultra-wide sumo stance works really well if your lockout point is around your knees. So like you need to have phenomenal either biomechanics or just like the build of you needs to be phenomenal to pull this off. Uh, that's pretty much it. I like how the solution to getting a stronger bench press is changing your grip. By turning your hands in a little bit. Um, and it's always young people that still haven't, uh, you know, they haven't had a very uh, long training age. Mm. It's always a younger crowd that uh, sway towards implementing Japanese grip or bulldog grip or whatever you want to call it. What What's bulldog? Um, I'll see Joe the camera. Um, a bulldog grip is where they're like kind of just gripping the bar or something like that. I've only seen a few people do yeah, it. Yeah, it's similar. It's It's kind of like internally rotated as well. Uh, but it's also like the really, really, really extended wrists. Mm. Es- essentially all of it. And don't get me wrong. I'm all for reducing range of motion, maximizing technique to be the most efficient, all of that sort of stuff. It's essentially trying to do that. Uh, but like I said, it's kind of at the expense of the mechanics of the lift, like the big rocks of the lift. And so if you can bypass that by having a ridiculously short range of motion, like in bench, having the Japanese grip, but only moving your elbows a few inches so they never get anywhere close to parallel, you'll be able to load that phenomenally well even without having a great deal of strength but if you're one of us normies and you do that and you try and go through full range it just compromises the positions of your shoulders so much to the point where it'll probably make you way weaker Mm. i like like i said before i like how that's the um that's the solution to getting a stronger bench yeah like uh you also need to tick all the other boxes on getting stronger exactly uh not some sorry yeah no i was just gonna say not some trend that you've seen on instagram for sure Mm. And, and again like Think of this logically. Look at the the semi-sumo we just talked about. Look at people bench pressing. Look at people sumo. If everyone has the everyone does have the option to do that Japanese grip, to stand as wide as you can, if it worked really well, everyone would do it. But it only works well for a select group of people, uh, and those people tend to be those that favor towards a certain like set of biomechanics, uh, and very few people actually have that. All right. What's your opinion on static stretching? There's lots of strength coaches out there that blast static stretching. Static stretching is a bomb. I lo- okay, here's my opinion on it. 
I go through phases with it because I suck at static stretching. I'm not very flexible. So therefore I fucking hate it because I'm not very good at it. So I used to fall under the, because um, at the end of the day, what's, what's mobility? Just moving a joint from A to B. Point A to B. Yeah, point A to B. Um, and I suck at that. But I can squat relatively well. I got good enough hips for the squat. Like I'm good at the skill of squatting. That's why I can squat good. So I've always made excuses. Show us your upper back. <laughs> so I've always made excuses as to why I'm uh, shitty at static stretching. Like people be like, oh, you can do that. You, you can't do this. I'm like, yeah, but I can still perform a snatch. I can still perform a squat. I can still do all this stuff and it doesn't affect me. But lately, I don't know. You've, I've told you I've been stretching heaps. So you showed me a hip stretch the other week and I've been doing it every day. Nice. Every day for like six minutes, like three minutes each side. And I've seen so much results in my hips uh, in terms of flexibility. Um, the context being for jujitsu, I want to get better at jujitsu. I want to start being able to do moves that my flexibility beforehand didn't allow me to do. Mm-hmm. So I started doing the stretch for three minutes a day uh, that Tombo showed me. And I've showed so many people in it. Have you seen heaps of people doing it? No, I haven't been paying attention. Oh, so many people have been doing it. <laughs> um, and it's just a, it's a good stretch because you're in a comfortable position. You know how normally like, when, when people give you hip stretches, the most common one's the couch stretch and you get a sore fucking knee, you get a sore yeah. ankle and things like that. But this one's really good. Um, it's, it's for me particularly, you know, that's why I do it so much or have done it so much is I struggle to find stretches that don't hurt the joint of my hip and then actually stretch the muscle I'm trying to stretch. And so exactly like you said, the couch stretch just it cranks my the joint of my hip so much to the point where I can't, it's neurally blocked. I can't move. So it's just pointless. It just hurts. Mm. But little things like, I don't know if you knew this, Bridget, but I, so my right leg, I've snapped this Achilles twice. I've just done heaps of shit on this right-hand side. So it's really bad. But I never used to be able to do this only until the last few weeks. Just put my leg on there without my hand. Mm. I'd always have to go. Lift it up. Yeah. So my opinion on static stretching is good because I can do this now. See, and that opinion is formed by the evidence that you've seen. Yeah. And so the problem with the static stretching argument is that people say it's shit because it's cool to say it's shit rather than, okay, how does this fit in the bigger picture? Will static stretching make you a better lifter? Probably not. Will static stretching play a role in changing your movement options, which will make it make a better lifter? Absolutely. You just need to know how to use it, when to use it, but more importantly, what to pair it with to actually make it take effect in what you're trying to do. I use it for doms and I find that it works. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that's an interesting one because doms is like micro tears in the muscle. Mm. It's, and so stretching should do the opposite, should make it feel worse. But what you do when you're stretching, you encourage blood flow to the muscles so the muscles feel warm and then you're like, oh, it feels better. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're kind of out of time. I want to finish the podcast with a question, which is if you could have anyone's physique, doesn't have to be in powerlifting or bodybuilding, but you get to choose to have anyone's physique, who it would be, who would it be? Right, CJ Brian Shaw. Okay, next. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Is that what you'd say? Oh, it'd be close to it, but then it's so, in- like going to the Philippines being my size, it's so inconvenient as it is. So imagine being six foot eight and then even wider. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's just, I couldn't even get into the seats. So let me think. Let me think of who I'd actually... <laughs> There's, there's so like there's so many aspects in life that because I'm hyper aware of people's size just because we're surrounded by people of we get desensitized desensitized to what real people look like or at least I do because <laughs> yeah. I'm in the gym all the time and the people that I go and hang out with outside of the gym are all huge so I get desensitized to what regular people look like a little bit 
uh, as especially Australia is even more unique. We see a lot of big people around. You go to other countries, everyone's tiny. Mm. Everyone's like normal. Uh, and so I get I get really hyper aware of that traveling a lot as well. I'm like, mm. I barely fit in this bathroom. And then I'm like, I'm like 112, 115 kilos and I'm not very tall. Like even you, CJ, I mean, you're not gigantic in the scheme mm. of things, but that must be hard for you just yeah. like dealing with planes and yeah. yeah. Who's yours, Tom, bro? Nicolas Dupree. Oh, Dupree. he's like, he's a, yeah, he's God a, amongst men. He is a God. He looks like, do you guys, watch, have you guys watched Bucky? Bucky uh, Hummer, the anime? He looks like Bucky. Uh, cl- <laughs> uh, it's it's a hard call between him and Dan Green. Yeah, the king. <sighs> Dan Green, now he's super flexible. Mm. Yeah. Was Always he a gymnast? Something like that. Okay. Well, he started, like, weightlifting-wise, he started in weightlifting mm-hmm. before powerlifting, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he has a background in gymnastics, yeah. Yeah, right. I'm going to answer this question a little bit differently because my uh, I, dream body changes with whatever I'm into, yeah. and I always think of dream bodies for different scenarios. So for basketball, because I myself am a point guard, I think Russell Westbrook has the dream physique. Like, he's got big wide shoulders, he's got long arms, he's only 6'3", uh, but CJ, you know his type of physique? Yeah. It's like the perfect basketball body. Yeah. Especially when you're only 6'3". He's got the long arms, the wide shoulders. So I'm going to say him for uh, basketball. For powerlifting, I used to fucking wish I looked like a uh, critter. <laughs> he because, was very jacked. Because I could relate to him because we're both 5'5". Five five, yeah. And I remember when, he used, when I used to work at Converse uh, back in the day, he used to come into the shop. I'm like, fuck, this guy is how I want to look. Yeah. Because he still looked, he didn't look like a meathead. He was jacked, yeah. but he looked kind of athletic. He looked fit. Yeah. yeah. And then um, for jujitsu, there's uh, a guy called uh, Nick Rodriguez. that uh, He's got the perfect body for jujitsu. So that's how I look at it. I never look at it like from an aesthetic point mm. of view. I always look at yeah. it from like a sports performance kind of view. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Nah, yeah. I'd throw away all my athleticism just to be as jacked as... <laughs> Gladly. Right? Tell me I can never lift weights again. I'll take it as long as I look like that. Mm. But Michael B. Jordan is up there. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. He's a hottie. He's pretty yes. amazing. Gitch. I don't have a dream physique because it keeps changing all the time. I'm like you, I look at one person, I'm like, oh, I'd love to look like that. And then I see someone else who's completely different. Like I love that chick who's got like the really jacked arms at the moment, but then a week later I'm like, no, I don't want jacked arms. I want big legs. Or I want. Wait, this who's that? I can't remember her name. I was just trying to look her up on Instagram. She's got the greatest arms I've ever seen. Do you remember I showed her to you? Mm. I know. Um, for the, but you're you're a little bit of a muscle mummy. Not really. You're pretty jacked. Yeah, you're pretty jacked. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you realize how jacked you are. Yeah. Because girls will always come in and be like, she's in great shape. I want to look like her. Yeah, you I know they see, always I say that as I well. I still see just a real skinny person. I have so many people say Bridget needs to do bodybuilding. And I'm like, yeah, no, she, she won't. But yeah. <laughs> she I won't. just want my physique, but with bigger legs and a bigger butt. If you give Bridget a <laughs> six week prep, I reckon she could get on stage. <laughs> She's getting on stage tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Twenty four seven. Put a tan on her. <laughs> right, you got to throw a name out there. I'm not. I'm not taking oh, this man. cop out. I don't know. Well, there's someone in the past. Who else? Well, there's this chick. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I think she's Russian. This one. Russian Bro Seven. She's <laughs> amazing. <Bro> oh, <laughs> she's got the best abs I've ever seen. Uh, how do I say you that? Go through, like, her other Yuri photos. Belkin. 
KK. <laughs> Kirill. You can have a look through. Oh like, God. I'm being honest. You look her better than that. No, nah, her physique is insane. Have a look through her photos. I'll tell you how to Amazing. get. I'll tell you how to look like that. Stop training for three weeks, and eat less. <laughs> Wait, is that training for three weeks? That's and not eat all less. there in the thing. Eat less. <laughs> <laughs> She's a bodybuilder. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, pretty jacked. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Again, I'm the same as you guys. It's it goes. It's like. You know, one day I'll see, you know, Brian Shaw and the size of his back. And I'm like, man, that would be sick if behind me that's what people saw. But then there's like, I remember you showed me this um, male gymnast who had the giant biceps. Jake Dalton. And I was like, whoa, that would be sick. Yeah. <laughs> and who's, bodies. who's the guy, Um, uh, Sebastian Orb coaches, the big. Alex Simon. No, the big brown dude that. Vasa. Vasa. Yeah, what a huge that. human being that guy is. Yeah. I remember seeing him in the warm-up room going like... Was he tall <laughs> as well? Yeah. He's, he's taller than me. Oh, wow. So I, I look up to him and then he's also... He's a monster And he's got like man. actual like to Josh Takua legs. He's, got a, he's a big boy. <laughs> he's huge. Very thick. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, good. Yeah. Hit us in the comments who you want to look like. <laughs> <laughs> mm. All right. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Zero Podcast. If you want more information, head to our Instagram, Zero underscore weakness. Hit the link in the bio for all of our services and any information on upcoming workshops and events. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review so we can have a broader reach and answer more people's questions. Thank you once more.